0: And welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. And
1: I'm Liz Gumbiner, and we're the co-founders of CoolMomPics.com. And today, we will be talking with best-selling author Judith Warner about parenting middle schoolers during the pandemic. But this advice is really going to be relevant to all of us, whatever our kids ages.
0: So if you're not familiar with Judith Warner, which I'm not sure who isn't because when I heard Judith was going to be on the show, I was so excited. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller Perfect Madness, Motherhood in the Age of Anxiety, which was one of the first books we ever covered on Cool Mom Picks. And she's also written Hillary Clinton, The Inside Story, as well as the award-winning We've Got Issues, Children and Parents in the Age of medication. She
1: is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, and she's been a frequent contributor to the New York Times, where she wrote the popular domestic disturbances column that you probably have read, plus tons of other publications. And she's about to release her newest book, a topic that's a big one for both Kristen and for Mm -hmm. me. And then they stopped talking to me, Making Sense of Middle School, which is a blend of narrative nonfiction, memoir, journalism, and science. She's called it and I agree with it. She calls it the book she wishes she had when her own daughter was in middle school.
0: And many amazing people that we know and love and who have been guests on our podcast are raving about this book. K.J. Delantonia, Peggy Orenstein, Rosalind Wiseman, and more. Lisa Belkin said that it's the book that every parent of every adolescent needs and has not been able to find. Wow.
1: And today we're going to get her expert perspective on parenting our tweens during the pandemic when everything seems to have gone upside down. Plus, it's such a good book. It's really a good book. Judith, welcome. And thank you for writing this book.
2: Well, thank you for that fabulous introduction. You've just made my day you don't see me, but I've got a huge smile on my face.
1: Oh, that's so great. Well, maybe it was the Lisa Belkin quote that made your day, but you know, we'll (laughs) take it. Yes, it was all of it. So I have to just say for our listeners, you know, originally we were saying, let's just talk about pandemic parenting in general because Judith has written so many of our favorite parenting books. And after reading the book, We were like, wait a minute, this is so captivating and fascinating and really takes a different perspective Mm -hmm. than we see before. And we realized that everything here is extremely relevant right now and can truly help us as we all struggle to help keep our kids healthy and mentally healthy as well. What really fascinated me is this really isn't about understanding the mind of a middle schooler, which is kind of what I expected, but about understanding ourselves better. So why did you want to write this book?
2: I wanted to write it because I found being a middle school parent so hard. I mean, Mm. parenting is challenging when you have kids of any age. And of course, there are great pleasures that go with any age too. But there was something about that middle school moment, you know, starting in sixth grade, where I just found myself kind of besieged with emotion, with memories that would pop up, you know, right when I was falling asleep at night of moments from when I had been that age. And I found it just torture when my daughters had social difficulties. I mean, just the normal things, you know, that that happen. There are so many things that happen in middle school that we all know well, and I just thought, you know, this emotion is so high pitched there's something not quite right about it. There's something that's getting triggered in me and I don't know what it is. And I also felt that the parents around me had something going on too. My girls were in a a pretty small school where they had been for a long time and people knew each other pretty well. And there was just a different vibe. You know, people's faces were kind of shut down. There was a lot of dread always when the new school year would start. It Felt like everyone was girding for the worst and was kind of on the defensive. And I found myself, I mean, I I rediscovered an email where I actually say this. I found myself wondering, who are the 12-year-olds who live on inside of us? What were we like and what lives on in us from that period? And it was really just kind of an idle thought at that point. And a couple of years went by before I actually turned it into this book. But that was the starting point, really.
0: You know, I'm already getting the sweats thinking about middle school. I was actually bullied in middle school and ended up being taken out of school and homeschooled. So <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one, though, who had such a difficult time. And I imagine that people would agree that it gets the worst rap of all the developmental stages, maybe outside of the terrible twos. I mean, you you really can't find anyone who's like, oh, yeah, middle school is so <laughs> great. And, and so I'm wondering, you know, you have said that middle school should come with a trigger warning for parents. And I'm wondering, is it because we all had such a difficult experience? Why is that? Why is this topic so difficult?
2: When I started writing the book, I really thought it was that. I thought it was that our past experiences were coming up and were making us kind of crazy in the present, that we were getting triggered. And I still do think that there is a lot of that I think, though, that the past plays a role particularly in shaping our expectations and in contributing to a kind of breakdown of emotional boundaries between parents and kids. And I think as a generation of parents, we struggle with that anyway, and we have for a couple of decades now. And there's something about the middle school moment where that boundary breakdown becomes that much tougher. And it's probably because it's so painful to watch your kids struggle. It does bring up such powerful memories and feelings from the past. And I also think because the pressure points of the middle school moment of early adolescence, you know, what's going on for kids tend to be the pressure points of early middle age as well, which is when... You know, most people in the U.S., I think at this point, have middle schoolers. That combination is really tough. And the kinds of things that obsess middle schoolers, being popular or not, which really has to do with ranking, where you are in a hierarchy, how the outside world views you, kind of whether you're a winner or a loser. I mean, those are the preoccupations of adults in our time more than ever before, I think. So you have this kind of perfect storm of painful things, that I think wash over people It becomes very, very difficult to sort out other than knowing that you feel kind of crappy.
1: And I love your analogy you just made that parents at this phase in our lives are kind of going through analogous things that our our kids are going through. I hadn't really thought about that, Mm. but I realized that when my daughter started sixth grade, so many parents, well, moms in particular who had left work or worked full time or whatever their work situation realized, wow, my kid is now taking the subway to school alone or they don't need me as much or they are doing more after school and they don't need me all the time in the same way. So what do I do with my life now? So it's kind of like we're figuring out who we want to be again at the same time that our kids are starting to figure out who they want to be.
2: I think that's absolutely true. And it's less about chronological age even than it is about phase of life, because till that point, your kids have really been the focus of your existence whether you're working full-time or not it it doesn't make any difference yes yes they are the center of your universe and then they necessarily start to pull back and they want to have more independent lives and if you're fortunate enough to live in a place like New York, where they can take public transportation, they're doing that. So they're out in the world more. And you are kind of thrown back to yourself and to your marriage. I was interested to see, I saw a lot of marriages break up right around the time oh, yes. the kids. Uh-huh. were. <laughs> 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 la, 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 la. <laughs> they return to themselves. And I mean, my, my daughters are older now, so I can say, you know, a few years later, you return to yourself even more but that's when it starts. And so I think you feel it more. And it also, later on, it it, it has a bittersweet feeling. At that point, I think you're just attuned more to the loss because you've just come out of the period of having these, you know, children who absolutely adore you and want to be with you all the time. So there's a strong feeling of loss that I think also is working on parents and that they're not necessarily able to name because we don't really talk about this.
1: So what do you think is the difference between how middle schoolers are today and how they're being parented, which is really the focus of the book, versus when we were kids in the 80s or 90s? I
2: think one of the big surprises for me was that middle schoolers themselves were no different than I remembered them. Wow! I mean, the clothing is different. The hair is different. The technology is very, very different. But I expected something completely new because we've had decades now of press coverage Telling us that our kids are are just completely immoral and that all sorts of depravity. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> I you know I wasn't living in the U.S. during the late '90s, so I missed a lot of it at the time. But you know, it it flows out into the air. And then when I was rereading it, it was insane. I mean, utter insanity. There is just all of this, and this has been true for a very long time. There is all of this anxiety, worry, and a little bit of prurience too. That settles in on kids who are of puberty age, more or less. And that's just been true for as long as people have acknowledged them as a specific age group and talked about adolescence. But the kids themselves were just the way I remembered them. I mean, my daughters are quite different from me. So it wasn't so much that I was directly seeing myself in them. But in looking at some of their classmates, I was really shocked by the degree to which some of their classmates reminded me of myself. And the sort of interactions, the things they did, they just weren't so terrible. Yeah, I mean, they were mean to each other. They did the things that we predict, that we think. Fortunately, I wasn't aware of any out-and-out bullying like it sounds like you have, which, you know, is horrific and terrible. But kids have always been like this. Kids that age have always behaved very similarly Because so much of what they're going through is hardwired Hmm. and they're in the same, I mean, they're in American society, in American society and it's sort of big picture aspect values. It's the way we, you know, it changes, of course, it changes quite a bit, but a lot of the basic values are more or less the same. So that was another surprise to see that the middle school experience, even back when it was more commonly called junior high, even that hasn't changed that much from the point at which people started describing it and talking about it that was a surprise in fact that things were far less different than I thought again other than te- technology but technology is just used now to do the things we used to do in an analog way I mean we had these really mean slam books and they have YOLO or, or whatever anonymous things have been over the past few years that change all the time you know I just didn't think that was very different what was really really different and I'm a little bit older than you was the parenting style I grew up in New York City, and certainly by the time I was in sixth grade, I had a lot more independence. I mean, I'd been going to school on my own from when I was much younger. But at that point, I was really going around Manhattan with my friends and exploring new things, and I loved it. I mean, absolutely loved it. My mother was not involved with the parents of my friends unless she happened to be friends with them independently. You know, we had our separate worlds Hmm. and that's been lost. You know, parents and kids are just in it together. And I think that's a really negative thing.
1: Well, there there was one other thing you talked about I thought that was interesting that was a little different. I mean, what I love the chapter that goes through the history of middle schoolers. It really helped me understand like when adolescence started to become a thing and how, you know, way back when 14 year olds were ready to like go off to the war during (laughs) you know, the civil war. Like it it has evolved in some ways. But one thing that really stood out to me was the sexualization of the culture back then. Like those of us who were middle schoolers in the seventies, eighties and into the the 90s. It was kind of after the sexual revolution. There was a Lolita Redux, as you talked about. I mean, I remember going to like beer and spin the bottle parties in eighth grade. I can't even imagine my kids doing that today. But you talked about First of all, the reason we might be projecting that onto our kids—they're not necessarily doing the same things because they're living in a slightly different world. But also, you talked about that it was because we were part of an adult world that was falling apart, and it was like a light bulb went off for me—that times were different. So even if our kids may be the same, they may not be dealing with some of the challenges that we did then, and that we shouldn't be like projecting that onto them. Is that accurate?
2: Yes, and I think you just put that much better than I did. Um, no, I'm that.
1: paraphrasing <laughs> you.
2: <laughs> you know. I- I just remember when my older daughter started sixth, seventh grade, hearing these kind of dismal predictions about all the stuff they were going to be getting into and the terrible music and the terrible this and the terrible that. And, you know, and there had, again, there had been so much stuff in the media for so long about sex and drugs and blah, blah. blah, And it just wasn't like that. And when you look at the studies that have been done, the big studies, academic studies, sociological studies kids today are getting up to a whole lot less than they did back in the 70s 80s and 90s and it's safer things are safer now they have sex less they smoke less they drink less you know all of the things that we fear the most they're actually doing less so so there's that piece of it in terms of the adult world that was falling apart i spent a fair bit of time as i was writing this Trying to reconnect to what it was like to be, you know, 12 and 13 back in the late 70s when I was. And to compare that to the way these kids are written about. Because I've always had a problem of not being able to relate to how people describe middle schoolers, junior high schoolers. It just never felt real to me. And so I was trying to kind of bridge that gap to understand that. And I realized that there was just this feeling of decrepitude around me generally. Now, I was in New York City. This is just after the point when the city almost went bankrupt and things really were kind of coming apart. But as I read more and as I interviewed people, I realized that my experience wasn't unique and it wasn't geographically unique, even if it was maybe extreme being in the city. There was a general sense for kids who grew up in, I think, the 70s and 80s and maybe the early 90s, but certainly that slightly earlier period, that things were just kind of coming apart. And you really see it, for example, in the ice storm, you know, the Rick oh, movie. Oh my gosh, yes. movie.
1: That's how I learned about key parties. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Even a little older than me. And so those parents are, you know, that's a little bit before my time, maybe sort of five years before my time. But it's that general kind of gross Feeling, And that was certainly the way I felt about adults. They were sort of yucky, you know, in, in that moment of 70s exploration and, you know, throwing off the chains. And I think a lot of us had kind of Mad Men era parents who were a lot more emotionally distant, who by the time we got to be of junior high or middle school age were returning to themselves trying to figure out who they were and what they wanted to do at a time when all of a sudden there were these new possibilities for them especially for the mothers but for the fathers too and I think there was just a lot of bad behavior back then because they were sort of figuring it out as they went along and there was a lot of self-indulgent behavior I think now I'm not I, honestly I'm not describing my parents in that for one thing they're a little older but just in terms of the general atmosphere there was that feeling and A lot of that decrepitude, in a sense, settled in on this sexualized vision of pubescent girls. Mm. And this was something I vaguely remembered because, of course, when you're 12, 13, you're not thinking about the world like a sociologist. I mean, you're not interacting critically with it, by and large, or at least back then we weren't educated to do that. I just remember this kind of generally yucky feeling. There were things like magazine covers that I remembered, and you can find pretty much anything now. So... I just explored it to see what had in fact been out in the pop culture and it was so much worse than I remembered in fact it was really really gross mm.
1: it was like that Brooke Shields on the cover of Seventeen mm, magazine yes. thing that you shared on Twitter and it just flashed back in my head I was younger but I remember that and everyone wanted to be her mm-hmm. and meanwhile I've explained to my kids today about the nothing comes between me and my Calvins ad <laughs> and how she was 12 and not wearing a top and they're like what Yeah, they can't even conceive of that, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I always say to them, that's the culture that I grew up in that you guys are not growing
2: up in, exactly. And what I remember, even from before that, my first Brooke Shields memory is of New York Magazine in our living room, and the cover photo of Brooke Shields and her mother, and the and the cover lines were something like, "This is Brooke, she is twelve, she poses nude." This is her mother, Terry. She thinks it's great. <laughs> and you know, if you're looking at that, and you yourself are twelve years old it doesn't compute. All you know is that the outside world is sinister. Hmm. I think that marked me pretty strongly and I did find, you know, in talking to others and reading the work of other people that I think a lot of us felt that way. And I think, you know, the period you're describing in the 80s, it's the same basic period, the same continuum. No, that makes
0: sense. I was a middle schooler in the late 80s, and I still remember those myself. But you you brought up something interesting when you talked about the experience that we had as middle schoolers and our children. And you mentioned the word hardwired. Maybe a lot of their experience and what we're seeing is because it's hardwired. So can you speak a little bit more about developmental milestones, if you will, or things that are happening with a middle schooler developmentally that we parents should know about. And also just talk a little bit how that
2: differs, if it does, between boys and girls. It's so important and so essential. And we always tend to focus on the externals, you know, the external signs of puberty, the physical changes that are so obvious. And we don't sufficiently focus on the things that aren't obvious and which are actually far more important. What I mean by that is that puberty is accompanied by all of these brain changes, new brain developments that translate into new kinds of cognitive developments, emotional developments, and ways of interacting with the outside world. There's a new ability for thinking abstractly, for reasoning. Memory is heightened. Um, There's a burst of creativity very often and even, you know, a greater capacity for empathy, which is surprising, right? Because we think of this as such a, an unempathetic moment. There are also brain changes that explain why it is that kids become absolutely obsessed with their friends why popularity becomes so important to them. And a lot of this stuff really is hardwired because puberty way back in our history was the time when humans became ready to separate from their immediate friendship group and go out and mate. And mating was something that happened according to a hierarchical kind of ranking of who got to choose first and who had access to what resources. And much of that carries over, you know, in a time where we don't live like that at all anymore. It lives on in our brains and it carries over in this preoccupation with status and with ranking and with the outside social world. It's really important to remember that a lot of the things that we watch and that we really don't like about our kids in that phase of life are just natural. You know, some of this we're not going to be able to do anything about. But in saying that, I don't mean to be fatalistic or say that, oh, well, we just have to accept they're going to be mean to each other. And, you know, that's the way they are, because that's not true either. You know, we do have a very big sphere of influence. We live in a society. We live in communities. We live in families. We aren't just our biological hardwiring. It's just important to keep in mind what is going to happen naturally and that you have to be relatively zen about And then where you can exert some influence and try to make life better for your own kid and also for other kids and for yourself, for that matter.
1: Well, I I think that's actually a great sug into the idea of what's going on here and now at this particular Mm -hmm. moment in America in 2020 and around the world. So basically, at the same time, our kids are changing so much. The entire world Mm -hmm. has literally changed with this pandemic. And so I'm wondering what kinds of specific challenges you've been hearing from parents of middle schoolers right now that maybe their younger siblings aren't going Going through. And by the way, I'm grateful to have a middle schooler and a ninth grader and not a toddler because... Amen to that. Bless all of you toddler moms <laughs> out there who are listening because I don't know that I could do this half as well as however you're doing it. <laughs> so what are you hearing from parents of middle schoolers right now? And what can we do to basically create the healthiest, best environment for them?
2: It is so hard. It's just so hard. And I have to say, you know, I've had a lot of melancholy over the past couple of years not having school age children anymore, because I really loved having children at home. Although, of course, they're kind of back home, right, because of coronavirus. But I am so glad not to have to be doing distance learning or homeschooling because we all would have killed each other. <laughs> well,
1: I'm doing it with two kids right now, and Kristen's doing it with four. Yes. <laughs> so we're doing it. It's not so bad. It's not it so bad. It?
2: Well, I think it depends kind of on the family and the kids and what kind of challenges the kids have and how much stress the family is. Under. So true. I mean, yes. there's such a difference between what people have on their Facebook feed when it's the people they actually know and when they're in a community with people who are sort of strangers far away. Uh-huh. The honesty there is... And the amount of pain people express, it's just incredible. It's overwhelming. And it's also, though, it's kind of amazing because they're able to support each other that way. And it isn't what parents of middle schoolers are telling me they're seeing in kind of their personal feeds in their communities. It gives them the impression that all the other middle school parents are doing these marvelous, you know, enlightening and self-improving things with their kids 24 hours a day. Whereas they themselves are just trying to get them off their phones. Oh,
1: God. So it's the Instagram world, but just times 100 in a pandemic. (laughs) Yes. But when you're saying parents are in pain right now, is that because they feel like their kids are struggling emotionally? Is it because they feel like they're now at the point where they can't teach common core math to their kids? Like what specifically is so painful to parents of middle schoolers?
2: It's all of it, because getting beyond the universal difficulties, let's say right now for parents of school age kids, they're having to witness all the stuff that normally goes on during the. School day, right? So if their kids are struggling in any way academically, they're seeing it and they feel powerless to do anything about it because maybe they have to work themselves. They have other kids to stay on top of, and they're not trained. They're not teachers, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, if there's stuff going on, if there's social stuff going on online, there's no escape. And also, they don't get a break from having to witness it all. I mean, at least during the school day, if you have a middle schooler and if life is hard as it often is, you do have a break during the day where you're doing something else and you're not witnessing it up close. And they're witnessing everything. right? And completely unsupported. You know, teachers know what they're doing. Counselors in schools know what they're doing. There are normally, at least potentially, people who can be helpful if you're lucky. And they're just on their own. And in addition, they're in the impossible situation of being locked up 24-7 with kids who are programmed to want to not be with them, you know, who are programmed to want to be with their friends and they can't be with their friends. And it's really hard if you've got kids who under the best of circumstances, maybe struggle with anxiety or struggle with some mood issues. These are really the worst of circumstances for that. And again, they're isolated without help. Everybody's support system has been taken away. Everyone's release valves have been taken away. Even if it's something as simple as you have a kid who normally played sports a lot and this was a really great release for them in every possible way. It was a healthy and good thing for them to do And that's gone. Yes. Power to our teachers. I am so grateful
0: for our teachers. We have had 99%
1: (laughs) amazing teachers. Yes. 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 One might have gotten an angry letter from me yesterday. Other than that, (laughs) phenomenal. Like, I'm blown away by what teachers are doing to help our kids at the same time that they're, you know, dealing with their own problems, their own issues with the pandemic, and probably their own kids who are homeschooled, too. So amazing. So, you know, I took the conclusion of the book to be about how—I hope I'm getting this right— How we? I'll do like a Rachel Maddow. Correct me if I'm getting this wrong, please. (laughs) I took the conclusion to be about how we can't really protect our children from some of the pain of the middle school years, but we can save ourselves from experiencing that pain over and over again. And one of the things you wrote is when we are finally able to take a critical and compassionate look at middle school and middle schoolers past and present, we instantly grow up. And I loved that. So give us just one place we can start so we can do better for our kids.
2: Yes. And I wanted to just reinforce that doing better for and by ourselves immediately translates into doing better for our kids. Because one thing that I am sure of now, after you know all my years of being a parent, is that the best thing we can do for our kids is to be well in ourselves, to be solid, to be clear on where we are and just be operating from a place of calm. And a lot of that has to do with having our boundaries set and being able to use the part of our brains that is rational, more mature, able to see the big picture and able to rise above the emotion of the moment to think about what's going on. And our kids need us to do that for them. You know, They're going to go through what they're going to go through at that age. Again, so much of it is hardwired, but they really need us to help them think about it. And I think all too often we go down to their level and we kind of muck around in the pain with them. And then everybody is sort of drowning instead of leading them toward thinking a little more productively about, in a larger sense, what they're going through and why people act the way they do, what it might mean, and above all, how they might empower themselves to make things better.
1: Well, I I think the book is just stunning. It is so compelling and Mm -hmm. funny and witty and engaging. It is a page turner. I mean, it's really good reading. I didn't want to put it down. So I, I, I hope that our listeners can tell there is so much in here, not just about how to help your kids, really whatever their age, but kind of how to get through your own past memories and traumas so that we can do better for our kids. The book is called And Then They Stopped Talking to Me, Making Sense of Middle School by Judith Warner. It's out this week week may 5th like what day is it even <laughs> i think it's may and judith if people want to catch up with you where can they
2: find you, you are on the social media yep they can find me on twitter they can find me on instagram they can go to my new and improved website JudithWarner.com. my twitter handle is at Judith Warner. My Instagram is, I think, Judith Warner Books. I will admit I'm very new to Instagram. I'm old. <laughs> Getting used to it. I like it, but I, I have to get used to it. So I need to memorize my own handle, I guess, for starters.
1: <laughs> well, we have a lot going on right now. It's okay. Just add it to your to-do list along with like, you know, scrub down all the counters and Clorox wipe down every grocery that comes into the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it is time for... Cool books the
0: And Judith, you're our
2: guest. You get to go first. My cool pick of the week is the show Ozark, which I only started watching last night, and I'm already just desperately hooked. I love Laura Linney (laughs) under any circumstances. Mm. I just think she's fantastic. I wish she were my friend. And this show has the kind of super sinister and yet banal quality of Breaking Bad, you know, where you have Mm -hmm. people who are in these terrible, immoral kinds of situations, and yet at the same time, they're going through these kind of everyday family life things that we all go through and can relate to. And it's just, I think it's sizing up to be amazing.
1: And the third season just came out. So I'm curious, what made you decide to pick it up
2: now? My husband said, this is supposed to be good. Everybody talks about it. And of course, we're coming to it three years late as we do with everything, but
1: you know. (laughs) Hey, I watched Breaking Bad after
0: the whole thing was over. So it's okay. That's okay. It's never too late. And now's a good time to binge watch. So it's perfect timing. (laughs) All right, Liz, what about you? What's your cool pick of the week?
1: Oh, well, my cool pick of the week Comes courtesy of one Kristen Chase. Hello. Who has been (laughs) the master, the goddess of sending surprise pick me up gifts in the mail. Like, I will never catch up to her. And this week, she sent me a customizable face mask. She had written it up on Cool Mom Picks. And like, I think it said Hope in the one that was represented, or I love New York, the one on our post. She sent me one because it's customizable that says, but her emails. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I've been wearing it around Brooklyn. And even though no one can see each other smile with the face mask, I'm getting a lot of thumbs up. Anyway, they're, they're really great. You can find all the information on Cool Mom Picks. I will link it up on our podcast show notes. But what's even better is that they are donating a portion to Baby to Baby, which is a really great organization hooking up families in need right now. So not only can you write anything at all that you want on the mask, but you'll be helping families in need.
0: Yes. That's a good, cool pick of the week. And Liz, I knew when I saw that, I was like, I know exactly what to get you. So it, it was just perfect. gives me
1: one more reason to cry while wearing oh, the around no. New York these well, days. My
0: (laughs) cool pick of the week is from our site as well, Cool Mom Eats. I know we featured goldbelly.com many times in our gift guides. In fact, they are right now in our gifts that support restaurants for Mother's Day gift guide. But I finally ordered from them. I don't know, maybe it took the pandemic for me to finally order. And I love, I've been sending New York bagels. I've been sending Magnolia cupcakes. I sent ice cream from Austin. I sent deep dish pizza. It's just such a fun way to send a little... Piece of, you know, where you are, where you're living, especially if you've got a really good food city to somebody else. And it's so fun. I'm waiting for someone to send me something from somewhere else. I mean, I've even sent cheesesteaks, Liz. You can send cheesesteaks. You're the
1: giftiest person I know. (laughs) Like, you are the most amazing gifter. You're like, I've been sending these 87 things. I'm like, I mailed a letter for my daughter the other day. (laughs) We
0: all cope in different ways. Clearly, mine is sending food through Goldbelly. So, yeah, goldbelly.com. And of course, we will link everything up that we spoke about on the show, Judith's book, her website, of course, all of our Cool Picks of the Week. So make sure you go over to CoolMomPicks.com to find everything that we talked about today. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our guest, Judith Warner, and our wonderful engineer, John Bowen.
1: And hey, if you've got a moment, we know you're busy. We're not going to say that you're not doing anything, but if you have a (laughs) quick moment and can leave us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate your time by doing that and subscribing and downloading our episodes it really helps us and it helps other listeners just like you find us and who knows you could absolutely save somebody's week with an episode like this today you never know that's very true good point liz and if you've got ideas for a
0: future show if you want to say hi you can reach out to us we're on twitter facebook or instagram or you can just drop us an email at spawned at cool and if you're on facebook you have to be a member of our Spawned podcast community. Come on over. We talk about show topics, pretty much anything else that you want to talk about.
1: Yes, I got some good like uh, lash extension serums, Ooh, lash yes, growth serums from the group this we week. Did. So, yeah, it's almost like an entire Cool picks of the Week community. <laughs> we just share the stuff we like. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. <laughs> and these days, there's lots to talk about. Lots and lots and lots and lots. And hey, <laughs> I like all the personal interaction I can get, even if it's through Facebook. Yes. Tuesdays. So hang in there, mamas. We know you're all doing a great job and doing the best you can. We hope we're keeping you company for just a half an hour each week and making your life a little more fun or a little more helpful. Thanks for listening to Spawned. This is Liz. And this is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye.